Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and please don't forget to share it with others. from the fifth chapter of John, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, therefore making him equal to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I might uh, take out your notes page there in your bulletin, uh, the insert in your bulletin this morning as we get our time started. If you are joining us online, you have a link to to those sermon notes. You can either open them now if you have the ability or feel free to use them later as we continue our time. You know, I thought as I was putting them together, I thought y'all might actually have some white space on there. And as you can see, I'm sorry, I gave y'all. So if you want to find someplace either on the margins or in your bulletin, if you have other notes that you'd like to take. Uh, feel free to grab a pencil uh, in the seat back or grab a pen uh, to take some notes as we dive into this message today. Let us go to God in prayer. 
Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this morning, through this sign that we witness in Jesus, through the conversations that he has, we may learn more about the kingdom, more about you, and more about the purpose that we have in this world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, before we get going into this sign that we have before us today, I want to take a pause real quick because this is uh, week four in this, in this series, and it kind of offers us a little bit of an opportunity. At the end of this sermon, we'll be halfway through, even though we're only about three signs in. As you remember, we started out, we looked at the first chapter of the book of John, or at least the, the first 18 verses of the first chapter, to begin to define why this book, why this gospel is important in our current biblical canon, and what it tells us about Jesus. And as we look and explore each and every one of these signs, we look and explore, again, the way that they point us to who Jesus is and how we understand them. Right, And so those first few weeks, we looked at why looking at these signs are important, and we began to identify who Jesus is, both in the time that he lived, that is, this historical person who lived, as well as this divine figure who is a part of our faith, lifting up both that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And so the writer, the gospel writer here in John, seeks to do this by presenting these signs, right? We started in the first sign with this sign of abundance, right? The quality and quantity of God's kingdom, of God's grace, of God themselves who come and offer to us everything. And then we looked at this nature of belief and what it means to see and witness the signs and wonders that are before us naming who Jesus is, who Jesus was, and giving us insight into the nature of God's grace. Now, one of the things that John does really well in this narrative is, well, he builds a narrative, right? There's a reason that that some of the chronology of this book is, is a little questioned. It's because the book was not written to tell a chronological story of Jesus' life. The story was written to tell a story about who Jesus is. And so what happens, especially as we move on in many of these themes and many of these signs, is that Jesus will perform a sign. And then he will get pushback. He will have people question the sign. He will have people question Jesus. And this is the week that that really begins to happen, right? The past two weeks, we have seen the signs. Jesus has been called upon to act. Jesus has been hesitant to act. And then in acting, the awe and wonder that takes place out of the sign begins to spark this conversation around places. Right when Jesus turns the water into the wine at Cana, it begins a conversation with people. And Jesus goes, and we see that the narrative tells us that Jesus goes around and begins preaching around Galilee. And Jesus has this conversation with this man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And then when we get into chapter 4, he continues to go around, and he finally makes his way back to Cana, where we had the healing last week. And word has gotten around so much that this man from Capernaum has to come and see and experience it for himself, this nature of healing, love, and grace. And in his belief, experiences what Jesus has to offer. And well, what happens when a good word starts to spread? Sometimes it's not always necessarily received as good. 
And so enter this third sign where things begin to look a little dicey for Jesus, right? At some point in time, the gospel writer has to move us from this joyous celebration of these signs into this understanding where we know the end of the story, right? We know what happens at the end of the book of John. And even the people that John is writing for know what happens at the end of this letter. But you see, John needs to get there. And as John is seeking to show why the resurrection is so important, he seeks to show why this nature of Jesus Christ becomes so difficult for people to understand. And so enter this third sign. This is where the tide begins to shift. This is where when you are reading John, right here in chapter five, is almost like a turning point in the book. Up until this point, it, it has seemed pretty, pretty good, pretty nice. Jesus has been received by people. He's been loved by people. He's been welcomed by people. And now we have this story in front of us today, which we've already read, so we already know what happens. We know it does not end well for Jesus. And then we also know at the end of the, cha- at the, end of the book of John that it does not end well for Jesus. Now it ends well for God and it ends well for creation and it ends well for the kingdom, but it does not end well for the man, human being named Jesus Christ. And this becomes the turning point right here because in this sign, what we see happen is Jesus moves from a place and understanding of being asked to do things to just doing things. Right? Remember back to those first two signs, what happens? Somebody asks Jesus to do something. And what's his response to Mary? Woman, it's not my time yet, which feel free to talk to your mother like that if you want to. And then believe me, man, like you're not gonna believe it unless I do these signs and wonders. Now that's the Andrew Ware paraphrase. Do not take that as written gospel, please. Right, the hesitancy. Now what happens, and even more important of a thing that begins to point us in a direction of what is happening, is that Jesus goes to this man. Right, Jesus goes to this man. He seeks him out to try and begin to show the signs and understandings of who he is. And it's not even the sign that gets him in trouble most of the times. Right, it's the sign followed by these conversations that he begins to have. And so now we look in this passage and we see we have both a sign, right? And we could have stopped in verse nine. Of course, it would have been a very big cliffhanger. And in fact, many commentaries I read are like, why would this, why would you stop this at verse nine? Because in the lectionary, it stops there. No, we kept on reading because the sign became more. Right, it was this conversation afterwards that doesn't just It's not another sign, but it reiterates the sign that has occurred. It reiterates what the sign has pointed to. And so we sit here and we ask ourselves, we begin to look at this sign, and we ask ourselves, what do we see? What does it show us? And we are reminded here of the compassion that Jesus has, even beyond belief. Right? Last week, it was all about belief. Last week, it was all about the the man with the child seeing the healing that takes place in his son's life. And it was seeing that sign that reiterated his belief. But this week, Jesus goes and he seeks out this paralytic man in the pool. And we see that Jesus calls for transformation in his life as well. And so we have the sign itself, the healing, 
And then we have a few conversations that happen afterwards where we look and we see exactly how Jesus is working in this man's life and in the life of those whom he is in community with. And so we see this interaction and we see this, we see Jesus heal this man, right? He tells him to take his mat and go. And so the man takes his mat and walks away. And I mean, I feel like at that very moment in time, I would have been like, holy cow, I'm healed. I can walk again. But we learn that Jesus kind of dismisses himself almost probably as immediately as he says this to the man. While, he, while the man is rolling up his mat and getting ready to get up, Jesus disappears. And so the man who is carrying his mat on the Sabbath, of all the things you could do on your day off, carry a mat, is approached by these Jewish leaders. And he's told, why are you carrying your mat? And he said, but this man, he told me to get up and walk. And look, I am get up and I'm walking. I rolled up my mat and I'm carrying it. And they asked, well, who was this man? He's like, I have no idea. He left before I could get, in, before I could get his name. And so Jesus re-encounters this man in the temple. And what does Jesus say? See, you have been made well. Right? Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And this is, this is where we begin to see the lesson of this sign. Remember last week when we were told, unless we see the signs and wonders, we will not believe? And so what happens when the sign, when Jesus performs the sign in this man? Right, this man is confronted with a sign and wonder of Jesus and then is told to turn away from this, from this sin, from this understanding, this unbelief that is filled in his life. that exists within him. And then what does the man go and do? But he goes and tells the Jewish leadership exactly what happened to him. Look, it's this guy over here. Like, it's not my fault I carried the mat. He told me to do it. It's his fault. It's almost as if Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Funny how that works sometimes. Right? And then we see the outcome of what happens when this man's sin of unbelief turns into repercussions for those who are around him. Because we read just a few passages later that for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. That is to kill Jesus because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Right, they probably could have forgiven, like, okay, he broke the Sabbath. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll forgive that. But, but this man seems to be God himself. Right, and if we dive back in and reflect back to the beginning, we see that Jesus seeks out this man, clearly looking for an opportunity to be healed. Right, the, the paralytic man, he wants to be healed. We hear of this, 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 this mythology that surrounds this, that surrounds this lesson of, of an angel that comes and stirs this pool once every so often. And the first person to get into the pool is healed. And this man sitting on the side, he just wants to be healed. And yet, look at this. When Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? Right? You have your, you have your scripture right there. Does the man say yes at all? Rather, he looks at the reason he can't be healed. Right, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Now we know Jesus is a smart guy. Jesus never asks a question without an intentional answer, probably already worked out in his head. 
But you see, here's what's happening in the paralytic man's head. You see, he knows the only way that he can be healed. He knows the only way that he can be healed is belief in something that is supernatural. Belief in an angel that will come stir up the pool. Belief in a magical way that he can get down to the pool. And this ordinary looking man in front of him cannot heal him. Right, of course he wants to be healed. But he can't get to the water in time. No one can physically heal him. Except maybe this man who's standing in front of him. Right, and then we have this instantaneous healing where the man is told to pick up his mat and go. And when we continue to work our way through this passage, we begin to see the sign play itself out. Right, when the man encounters the Jewish leaders carrying his mat and they chastise him, it becomes a whodunit story. And it's not even that when Jesus tells the man, go in sin no more, it's not even like he's telling him, look, don't rat me out. I healed you. What he's trying to get the man to understand is that the love and grace of God overcomes, comes into our life if we are but willing to extend that belief. And when we follow the progression of the passage, we see that the true paralyzation of this man are not his legs, but his willingness to truly see Jesus for who he is. To truly know and understand the work of God that is happening in his life. And it almost, like, un unfortunately, we can, like, read this as a threat, right? Go and sin no more unless, like, or something worse may happen to you. And, and Jesus almost sounds like a mob boss here. Like, look, man, stop sinning or, like, something bad's going to happen. And, I mean, we don't get the rest of the story, but as we look and see, we see that Jesus continues to work, continues to play a role. The paralytic man is healed, but the repercussions of the paralytic man's sin do not come back on, do not come back on him. But they come back on those around him. They come back on Jesus. They come back on the fighting that takes place in the community. This nature of sin that has plagued this man's mind that leads him unable to truly believe in the man who has healed him. Right at the end, the man turns him into the Jewish authorities. And so what do we learn from this sign? God's kingdom is boundless. Right? There are no boundaries. Jesus simply looks to all of creation as children of the kingdom. And yet what happens in our lives, the growth that we experience is based off of those interactions with Jesus. 
right? It is again looking towards this understanding of belief, but looking at it in a different way, right? Last week, we talked about the royal official. He had belief. He knew that Jesus could help him, and he went there knowing and believing in all that Jesus could be. And this week, we have the opposite. We have a man approached by Jesus whose sin keeps him from realizing and recognizing the work that is being done in his life. And yet, and yet, is still healed. Is still healed. Now, this does not abdicate him from, from his responsibility as Jesus tells him to go and sin no more. But you see, Jesus recognizes the end of what is about to happen. The act of healing the paralytic man lets us know that God loves us even before we make this commitment, even before we know or have an understanding of who God is. This idea of provenient grace that we believe in our Methodist Wesleyan tradition. And yet, it comes with this understanding of not plateauing the nature of belief in our life. We do not magically in our lives hit this plateau of belief, hit this plateau. We're, 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 we are always striving for, for perfection. We always hope that we will achieve it. And yet, it is always just out of reach. Because there is that nature in which we continue to grow, yearn, and learn in the nature of God's kingdom. There's a nature in which the sin that is present in our lives is the nature in which we work against God's kingdom. And we are called over and over and over again to move away from that paralyzation. Because we see right here the consequences of what happens. We see what happens when the unbelief of the paralytic man, now the healed man, gets in the way of how Jesus has called him to live. And in the same way as the, or in, a, in, in opposition to the royal official we saw last week, who goes away and his entire community has changed, what do we hear at the end of this passage? And yet, at the end of the passage, at the end of the story, what is there? Because these stories compound all upon one another. And it shows us that despite the barriers in life, despite unbelief, despite persecution, despite practices of Sabbath, that God's love is still always there. It's a message to offer ourselves grace as well as openly receive the grace that God offers to us so that it becomes our message. So that it becomes the way we are living. In our observation of Jesus, we see that he is truly showing how far the love and grace of God goes for each one of us. Right, and if this sign of Jesus, if this nature of who Jesus is, can truly overcome this, this persecution, these threats against his life, these rigid practices of, of who they think he should be, if they overcome the unbelief, even of the one that Jesus helps, 
Imagine how far it will go in your life. Imagine how far it can go in the life of creation, of God always working within us. Right, yes, we hear the way in which this man is prevented from truly understanding and knowing Jesus. It creates harm, it creates pain, even anger in the community and in the life of a man who tried to help him. This is an example to show us what it looks like to receive God's love in our lives, to believe, to know that God is, often, is always working with us, that God's grace, abundant in nature, goes beyond any boundaries that are put against it. But friends, we have to be willing to stand up for it. We have to be willing to continue in that nature of belief and allow that love to be as boundless as God has created it. When we look at these signs and when we look, right, we've, we've built upon each other, right? We've talked about abundance, we've talked about belief, we've talked about now boundlessness. And each one of them building upon the last one. And yet here it's almost like a story of what not to do. We cannot allow the paralyzation of our souls to get in the way of not just belief, but of living out the grace that God has given to each and every one of us. God's grace will be there for us through life's ups and downs. It's up to us to keep our eyes open for it and to live as it has truly transformed and changed within us. Amen.